Welcome to the Hindu Parenting Podcast. Hinduism and ritual are inseparable. But in recent times, ritual has acquired a negative connotation and many Hindus have become fond of identifying themselves proudly as spiritual but not religious. Today, we'd like to explore the link between spiritual sadhana and rituals, if any. Are meditation and rituals different? Is meditation superior, as is commonly believed? Is there a role for the homa or the havan in one's spiritual path? We have just the right person to answer these questions. Shri PVR Narasimha Rao has a B.Tech from IIT Madras and a master's from Rice University, U.S., and works as a senior engineering manager at a U.S. semiconductor company. He is a Jyotish researcher, author, and teacher, and created a popular free Jyotish software. He is also a Sanskrit scholar, philosopher, and teaches Homa and other rituals. Namaskaram Narasimharao Garu. It's an honor to host you on our podcast today. Namaskaram Rekhagaru and all the audience of the Hindu Parenting Podcast. Well, we are really lucky to have you address a very important topic for all of us. Uh, So today there's a lot of confusion among many Hindus. People look down on all forms of ritual as meaningless superstition and little more than mumbo jumbo. The modern Hindu asks, why should we engage in any rituals? Isn't it better to just meditate and reach the same goal? If we use the word ritual, ritual has a lot of connotations. Actually, there are two reasons for this. One is over the last few centuries, uh, the other religions that have invaded India have turned various Hindu practices into like uh, something that's looked down upon. And they did this with the various pagan religions also of Europe. When Christianity and Islam took over Middle East and Europe in the old days, various pagan practices were downplayed as something really dumb. And the modern religions of Kaliuga were portrayed as enlightened religions. And the same playbook was used when they came to India. And various Hindu practices were looked down upon. They were downplayed. And... The practices of Islam and Christianity were quoted as things that are more enlightened. And subconsciously, over the centuries, this basically affected the Hindu psyche, the Indian psyche, and Hindus started becoming uh, less confident of their own practices. Also, there is something in the word that is used. The Sanskrit word for ritual is, you either use the word sadhana, to, co- to cover various practices, spiritual practices, or you use the word karma, as in karmakanda, or nichakarma. Nichakarma is a prescribed rituals that you do on a regular basis. So karma literally means action. And sadhana, the word sadhana means accomplishment, accomplishing something, accomplishing a goal, having a goal and a means to accomplish the goal. On the other hand, if you use the word ritual, It comes from the Latin root writers, which basically means just a custom, something that you just do, a habit like that, basically. Something that is, may or may not be logical, may or may not have basis. It is something that you just do. 
so uh, slowly over time that word even acquired further connotation of oh it's just a ritual i i don't want to do it it's just a ritual like that basically uh, if you, if if somebody is told to do something you say ah oh, what a what a ritual like that it acquired negative connotation this is why instead of using english words which may have some connotations and also which may develop some connotations over time is better to use the original sanskrit word if you say sadhana it means accomplishment and secondly uh you you said people think that rituals are a meaningless superstition and meditation is basically better let's let's first talk about uh uh ritual ritual is not necessarily just doing a puja or a homa or havan or uh, certain certain kind of practices in the hindu way of living everything that you do is a ritual suppose you eat you chant the you chant a shloka brahma arpanam brahmavir brahmagno brahmanahutam brahmayavatena gantavyam brahma karma samadhina and then you eat you basically pay your respect to the food that you eat and then you eat the food what is the meaning of it why why did you turn it into a ritual the idea is the food is also brahman this food is brahman the jatragni the digestive fire inside my body to which i am offering this food is also brahman and i who is offering this food to that jatragni is also brahman and this food finally will reach brahman when it is digested like that you are basically thinking that sir instead of just theoretically saying sarvam khalvidam brahma and then uh, whenever you are doing something some action look at the object as something that you are enjoying and look at yourself as somebody who is enjoying and feeling proud of it you basically instill that sense of this is also brahman i am also brahman and for the survival of this brahman that brahman is being used in this particular manner so when you entertain that thought it puts you in a nice state of mind so that whatever you are eating of course there is karma associated with what you are eating whether it is uh, vegetable food or meat whatever you are eating there is some karma because you are using some other object that has come from brahman to uh, sustain yourself so there is some karma but when there is respect when there is love when there is that sense of god is doing through me i am an instrument when that sense is reinstilled that basically uh, reduces the karmic footprint of what you are doing and also in the long run it encourages good behavior in other words if you look at food as brahman if you look at the food with respect you don't overuse you don't waste food you don't basically buy much more than you need and then throw away food like people do these days you basically use whatever is really necessary for your sustenance your survival so just this example of eating food when you turn it into a ritual it basically creates a certain feeling inside your mind certain bhava certain bhava inside your mind and it it results in a more purposeful action more meaningful action that results in a better harmony in the whole world so like this i'm i'm just talking about food here right not just doing a puja to god like this the hindu way of looking at your life is every action that you do is an offering to the divine and the object of your action also is divine and the subject of your action which is basically you is also divine so you you instill that feeling at the back of your mind in all your actions 
it results in a better state of mind, a more focused state of mind. So whatever action you are doing, whether it is killing somebody in a war, killing your enemy in a war, or uh, whether eating food, or whether teaching some student, again, when you're teaching a student, you don't think the student is inferior, I'm superior, I'm great. You don't think along those lines. You think the student I'm teaching you, teaching to is Brahman. I am Brahman. The knowledge I am disseminating is Brahman. So when you have that 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 sacred sense, you feel very, very uh, sattvic. And that sattva results in better focus in what you're doing. And also your actions will be more purposeful. So, by the way, this is not just unique to Hinduism. Before the modern religions of Kaliuga came and overtook all the religions, there were various pagan religions in Europe. There were various religions in South America, North America, Australia, etc. All these native religions are very similar. I will not be surprised if they were all related in the old days and then after a major war, basically the world was separated into multiple islands of culture and evolved uh, separately. Because if you look at the Native Americans of US, of Canada and USA, when they eat food, whether it is vegetables or whether it is meat, they basically pray to that. The, if, if they kill a buffalo and eat it, they think of buffalo as, as a form of the divine. They pray to it before they eat. So this kind of ritual prayers, the exact words you use, the exact procedure that you use is secondary. What is primary is to have the sense of sacred, to have that sense of I am an instrument of the divine and I am doing what I need to do in this world in a purposeful and meaningful way. That really is the key. So that that sense we try to we try to invoke in all our actions. That that is why the word for ritual in Sanskrita is karma, as in Nichakarma or Karmakanda, not not uh, some other word. Karma is simply action. So rituals are various actions. Now there are certain certain rituals apart from doing converting daily activities into rituals into uh, sadhana into karma you basically sit down and pray to god you meditate or you uh, you do a homa all these rituals again these are specifically devised so that you form the connection to the divine when you form that connection to the divine in your mind, when your mind is thinking of divine as the doer at all times and whatever you are doing sees you as an instrument, when your mind is getting used to that, it's not very easy when you are when you are doing something, when you are arguing with somebody or when you are fighting with somebody, when you are teaching somebody, it's not always easy to think that God is acting through me. I'm a mere instrument in what you are doing. So you basically set aside some time in your day when you try to form that connection with the divine and you 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 try to see the divine as the uh, divine and the will of the divine as the main force behind your existence behind your uh, behind all of your actions so when you if you set aside some time that habit gets uh, instilled in your mind and when that get, get, gets instilled even when you are doing other things that stays with you that attitude stays with you. So the sadhana that you do, the rituals that you do are for creating certain mind state, state of mind, certain attitude and making it very natural to you. So that rest of the day also, 
you keep that attitude with you and that is really the focus of making spiritual progress and ex- executing your dharma in this world and finally hopefully getting moksha so from that perspective the mm-hmm. sadhanas that are given by rishis are for for uh, creating that attitude now talking about meditation many people think that just sitting and meditating is superior but the thing is if you don't have focus even in meditation you are trying to focus on something whether it's a is the sound of a mantra or is a concept is the form of a god or is a particular light whatever you are trying to focus on you basically need that concentration of your mind and if that's not there you are just mechanically doing it so for unfortunately i'm sorry to say this but for many people when they meditate meditation is also a ritual whereas somebody who's actually eating food and thinking that this is brahman i am brahman and eat the process of eating brahman he may actually have more bhava in his mind he may be he may his sense of surrender to the divine may be higher that his ritual of eating with a particular process may actually be very enlightened whereas somebody who's thinking doing meditation and thinking that he is very enlightened he may be just mechanically engaging in a ritual so to so to say some very very interesting very. points here um first thing is how a sense of sacred uh, pervades karma and sadhana and uh, of course that brings us to the importance of using these words immediately they it takes on a certain significance that uh, the word ritual lacks in fact i think the difference becomes um uh, karma or sadhana becomes a meaningful activity and uh, ritual when you call it a ritual it remains uh, meaningless in most situations so uh, that's uh, that's really wonderfully yeah. explained thank you thank you yeah so it's an action karma means action and sadhana means accomplishment it's an action it's an action to accomplish something so whatever actions we are doing we are doing them to accomplish certain thing the process of eating is to give you some energy so that you can sustain yourself but at the same time the real sadhana there is to think that you are just an instrument this is all the will of god so the really having the sense of sacred pervade your being pervade your actions pervade your thinking process and be with you all the time is really the key now let me give an analogy suppose i put a Uh, uh sandalwood paste or suppose i put uh, light an agarbatti and incense stick here so there will be a lot of smell here and after that withers away through the day some smell will remain but slowly that smell will become less and less similarly mm-hmm. when somebody is spending some time either in meditation or in a puja trying to connect with the divine and trying to imbibe the sense of sacred within one's being one will reach a peak during that process and then rest of the day as he goes through he or she goes through the daily activities it slowly withers away now the thing is if you spend enough time and create enough peak it will last the whole day so that is the purpose in the old days people spent a lot of time a couple of hours every day doing sadhana so that the state of mind and the sense of sacred and the sense of ishvara pranidhana which means surrender to the divine surrender to the divine will that basically even though it started slowly decaying through the day it mostly it was still active for the entire day 
And I want to give one more analogy here. Some people forget about meditation. As I said, meditation can also be just mechanical and ritual for somebody who doesn't have a focus. And to get the focus, certain practices do help. But some people say, you don't even need to meditate. You just realize that you are God. Yourself, Sarvam Khalvidam Brahma. All is verily Brahman. Just realize it and you are all set. Why do you need to do anything? Why do you need to do meditation? Why do you need to do uh, rituals, etc.? There is a nice analogy given in the Upanishads. Here, the tension really is between Gnana and Karma. Wisdom and action. So, people who are into Vedanta, not all, but some people who have half-baked understanding of Vedanta, they focus more on the Gnana and de-emphasize Karma. They think that Karma binds you, Karma is lowly, whereas Gnana liberates you, Gnana is higher. But there is a story given in the Upanishads. The, the story is, uh, not story, an analogy, a metaphor. Somebody who has only Gnana, but does not engage in karmas to uh, instill that Gnana, and perfect that Gnana, he is like, analogous to a, a, a person with eyes, but no legs. He's basically handicapped. He can't walk. And he's stuck in a forest. And he, he can see a forest fire approaching, but he can't run away from it. The, the actions are basically like legs and the wisdom, Gnana is like the eyes. On the other hand, somebody who just keeps doing karma regularly, every day he does the prescribed nature karmas, but doesn't have the Gnana that all is God. All is the work of God. I'm just an instrument. And this instrument, whatever it basically does, it will reap the fruits of that over time. So the only way to overcome that is realize that Gnana, if somebody just keeps doing karmas, he's like a blind person who has legs, can run. He's running very fast and furiously, but he may be running towards the forest fire and may get burned. So what you really need is you need both the eyes to see the forest fire and the legs to run away from it. There is another beautiful analogy given in Yoga system by Vasishtha Maharshi to Lord Sri Rama. He taught to Bhagavan Sri Rama the essence of Vedanta in Yoga system. The analogy is just like a bird cannot fly into the sky with just one wing, it needs to flap both the wings to fly into the sky. The bird of individual self, in order to fly into the infinite uh, uh, sky of infinite self needs both the wings of Gnana and Karma. Gnana or wisdom is like one wing and Karma or actions is like the other wing. So you need to basically imbibe your actions with wisdom. You can't avoid actions. As long as you are alive, there will be actions. But you have to imbibe those actions with the wisdom. So from this perspective, just thinking that I am Brahman, I am Brahman doesn't really give you that sense of sacred. It doesn't imbibe your actions with that sense of sacred. Irrespective of what is happening, what you are forced to do, what you are, what you want to do and what you are able to do. The confluence of what you are able to do and what you want to do is what you end up doing. So whatever you are doing, thinking of the divine as the doer and doing it with your best focus and best ability, but at the same time, no uh, attachment to the fruits of it and thinking that God is doing through me, whatever comes is God's, God's will basically. Doing the with that attitude is the key. So that basically comes with sadhana. As you do more sadhana, as you do more actions with that spirit, it will become more and more uh, instilled in your in your psyche, in your very way of thinking. So from that perspective, spending some time in sadhana, 
వాట్ ఎవర్ సాధన ఇస్ స్పెండింగ్ సమ్ టైమ్ ఇన్ సాధన అనే రెగ్యులర్ బేసిస్ ఈజ్ వెరీ ఇంపార్టెంట్ అండ్ దిస్ ఈజ్ దిస్ ఈజ్ వేర్ హిందూయిజం డిఫర్స్ ఫ్రమ్ మెనీ రిలీజియన్స్ మెనీ రిలీజియన్స్ హ్యావ్ వన్ వే అండ్ దే సే మై దిస్ వే ఆర్ హైవే మై వే ఆర్ హైవే యూ డూ దిస్ దస్ ఇట్ హిందూయిజం ఆన్ ద అదర్ హ్యాండ్ ఆర్ సనాతన ధర్మ ఆన్ ద అదర్ హ్యాండ్ హ్యాస్ ఇన్ఫైనెట్ పాస్ ఋషిస్ హ్యావ్ టాట్ సో మెనీ డిఫరెంట్ వేస్ టు కనెక్ట్ విత్ ద డివైన్ so uh, what are the different kinds of sadhana uh, since we said that you know rituals is a not the proper word so we'll start using sadhana so what are Perfect. the different kinds of sadhana there is puja there is yagya there is homa there is havan uh, so how are these all different from each other so there are many sadhanas given bottom line is every karma you do can be turned into a sadhana whether whether it is eating food or teaching somebody or uh, managing a team in a in a technology company whatever you are doing is an action so you can turn it into a sadhana by trying to invoke the sense of sacred sense of god in what you are doing now specifically apart from the regular actions turning into sadhana times spent specifically focusing on connecting with the divine let us use that word from now onwards for sadhana even though every action can be turned into a sadhana let us focus on specific actions that form a connection with the divine now yagnas uh, homas havans are one sadhana that people know there you are invoking the divine in the fire in the fire element and you are trying to form a connection with the divine through fire through the element of fire the other is the element of earth you have a vigraha a murti again the english word is idol but idol has lot of connotations when you say when you use the word murti it stands for certain qualities something that has certain qualities so that's a different thing than just using the word idol so when you use a murti or a vigraha that basically is made of usually made of some metal or clay or basically some earth element so they you are trying to imagine that there is god in that particular object in that particular murti and you are you are trying to form connection with that with that form with the divine by making some offerings and trying to imagine god imagine the divine in that particular object so that is the earth element the other is you can have a kalash kalasha a pot with water and then you can you can invoke devata in that and you can do pujas various pujas various services so those are those are basically fire earth and water elements and you can also connect through the air element when you are this is basically pranayama when you you can you can spend time doing pranayama and when you do pranayama whenever you are breathing in think that the divine who is filling the whole universe he is coming inside you as the air and then when you are leaving the exhaling imagine that all the negative qualities inside you have been are being purified and being expelled for you, from your being by the divine so when you if you keep imagining like that and keep breathing in breathing out that's another sadhana and that basically is using the element of air and finally the element of space space means that which is there everywhere but not specifically present in a particular place all molecules and atoms if you break them down break them down in, in the end it's all vacuum so that is space so connecting with the invoking the divine in the space and connecting with divine through the element of space akasha is very difficult but that is really jhana 
Jhana is not just doing a chanting a mantra, as people think. Jhana is perceiving the divine everywhere. And and when you sit for meditation and you when you really get lost, when your mind really gets focused, then you reach the state of jhana. So that basically is through the through the element of space. And out of these, the element of space is very difficult to uh, connect to because it's so subtle. And even air is subtle. In comparison, fire, earth and water are less subtle. They are more, they have a clearer form. So something that you can see, something that you can perceive, something in which you can visualize the divine. So they are easier for most people than the elements of space and air. In general, the the grosser the element is, the easier for us to connect with it because our mind is very gross. If our mind is very subtle, extremely subtle, then perhaps just jhana is sufficient for us. So uh, and out of all these, the earth and water elements are more difficult than the fire element because fire, that quality of fire is, it is alive. It has a, it acquires a life of its own once you start it. So, and it is, it is kinetic. It is dancing. It is basically moving. So imagining God in the fire is much easier than imagining God in a murti or in a kalasha. So that is why in most religions, not only in Hinduism, Sanatana Dharma, but many ancient religions, Worship of God through fire, connecting to God through the element of fire has been very popular. Fire ritual does exist in almost every religion, North America, South America, Australia, India, Japan, etc. So, but the thing is, our rishis start all these because different people have different aptitude. Loko bhinaruchahi. What is good for goose is not good for gander. So, you give all these options, somebody may be scared of fire. Even though fire is very efficient, somebody may, may not like fire. Okay, take a color, take a murti and worship the murti, an idol. And if uh, if you somebody likes water, likes being near water, take a kalasa and imagine that God is in the kalasa and do various services to that kalasa. Like there is a living person there, you basically make various offerings. Uh, you do various services like washing hands, washing feet giving drinking water, giving bath, giving nice clothes, etc. You imagine that it's a being and you make that connection with the divine through the element of water. And if somebody likes meditating near big body of water, go to a river, go to a pond, a lake, a, an ocean, sit next to it and meditate. You, you try to think that there is God near you, that lake or the river is God. And you basically chant the mantra of whatever devata you, you prefer, you ch keep chanting that mantra and believe that there is God near you and God is going to clean your consciousness, clean your thoughts and uh, imbibe your actions with a sense of purpose from now onwards. So with that sense, basically, you you can meditate near a big pool of water. I know somebody who actually goes near volcanoes and meditates. He likes fire element. He meditates near volcanoes. Like this, there are many ways and our rishis never said this is the best way this is the only way uh, as i said basically homa or havan has some efficacy because of the power of fire but at the same time they never said you thou shalt do only this they always gave options so all these are relevant what is important is you you have to make a connection when you are when you do that ritual when you do that sadhana when you do that karma you start feeling something divine something sacred outside of you and eventually inside you. 
and that sacredness should basically take take over you take over your existence and when it it may take over for a short time and then it may slowly dissipate but the thing is over time it will remain with you for longer times so that is the most important thing and i just want to say one add one line of thought here because i am putting the focus on bhava enjoying what you are doing feeling what you are doing that is indeed the key there is a story in one of the upanishads there was a brahmana who was doing a ritual every day and elaborated ritual to a murti every day and a peasant who did not know much shastra he was he, he was always in the area so he was, he would watch observe the brahmana and he would imagine in his mind that he is also doing the same thing he imagines that he is washing god's body he is giving a bath he is giving nice clothes he would imagine in the mind and in the end the brahmana goes to a lower loka and this uh, peasant goes to a higher loka and the brahmana asks god why did i come here that guy did nothing he was just watching me do the ritual and i did i did your puja every day without fail he said you did it mechanically you did not feel what you are doing you and you also had a sense of pride that you are doing something special whereas that person he actually imagined even though he was not physically doing it he imagined it so so the point here is the physical objects in the sadhana that you do are proxies they enable certain bhavas in your mind which are difficult to create without those so you use those proxies to create the bhava but when you say snanam samarpaya snapayami om shri mahaganapatim snapayami and you you show water to mahaganapati murti and then put it in the arivannam you actually pause for a second and feel that you are giving him a bath the god is enjoying it so that basically that bhava in what you are doing is very very important but at the same time i want to make another key point if you say that you have to enjoy what you are doing the nature of people who are stuck in tamas is to do nothing because tamas is a state of laziness so you will say that i'll just sit in the couch and watch tv and i enjoy it so you have to force yourself in the beginning you can't just say i will enjoy but the thing is eventually you have to also start enjoying what you are doing so there is there is a balance between force and push and also pull back and enjoy so there should be a balance in any activity in life not only sadhana in any activity in life there should be you should be pushing yourself but at the same time you should not be pushing yourself too much you should also be enjoying what you are doing so you should initially you should push but eventually you should start enjoying it you you if, you, if somebody may enjoy doing lot of upacharas lot of services imagine that there is god there is actual ganpati in that murti and do various services offer food offer tambula offer uh, various things whereas somebody may enjoy chanting the mantra of ganpati more and thinking that ganpati is in front of me and he is accepting this mantra and he is blessing me so accordingly somebody may pick a 64 service puja somebody may just pick a five service puja and at the end of the five services he may just chant the mantra he may just uh, basically meditate meditate but the thing is thinking that there is gonna god in front of him or her will enhance that meditation so that way that sadhanas that pujas you, you do can do also encompass encompass jhana do also encompass meditation whether you do a homa or a puja at the end you do meditate but the thing is before meditation you are you are invoking the divine near you in a particular object 
and you are giving some services, offering some services, and then you are thinking of God. So that basically provides a context and uh, it makes it easier to perceive that sacredness. So, but, so, so my point was uh, some people like longer procedures and shorter meditation and some other people may like uh, longer meditation and shorter procedures. So, Rishis never said this is the only way. They gave all the options. Panchopachar Puja, Shorshopachar Puja, Chatushashopachar Puja. You, you basically pick what works for you, what you are able to enjoy more and you can do. So that is the beauty of Sanatana Dharma. It's not, it's a very logical system and also it's a very open-minded system and it's a very broad system. It has a lot of depth also, a lot of breadth. So, you're not you're not uh, restricted to one particular way of doing things you mentioned uh, a connection with the five elements and uh, we have the freedom to approach the divine through any one of these means now when it comes to the air and the space like the pranayama and the dhyana that you mentioned um, it is understood that it's a solitary activity. People do it individually. But when it comes to the uh, either the puja or the uh, homa, um, there is this fear of making a mistake. And so people often think it is best left to a professional to do a puja or a havan, right? I mean, there is... Uh, a fear of making a mistake and having something untoward happen. Now, yeah. what do you, what would you say to that? Couple of things. First of all, think of worship of God, whether it is uh, worshiping God in a murti or kalasa or havan or some other form. Think of that as uh, expressing your love to your mother and father, forming your connection to your mother and father, getting close to your mother and father, then uh, something else. And when you look at it from that prism, you realize that if you express your love to your father and mother in a slight, using slightly wrong procedure or wrong words, they won't be offended. They love you. They Even when they seem to punish you, it is for your own good. So, uh, first of all, there's nothing, there's no need to be scared when you're doing puja. This comes from one particular misconception because there are certain procedures that were devised by certain great yogis to get specific results. In, for in the Tantra Shastra, there are certain procedures that you do with certain substances, certain counts of mantras, and certain results will come. And when, when you do those for specific results, for example, uh, somebody, somebody being attracted to somebody else like that, or somebody being killed, somebody being restrained, so when you are doing for specific results, these are called prayogas. So when you do these different prayogas, if it, if you make a mistake, it can be disastrous. But at the same time, if you are doing sadhana just to improve yourself, just to imbibe the sense of sacred inside you so that all the activities you do are more meaningful and purposeful and you execute your dharma with detachment in the world and finally becomes... Uh, free, liberated, if you are doing sadhana for that purpose, you have nothing to be worried about. People conflate these two things. Uh, nishkama sadhana as a as a nichakarma versus doing sadhana for a particular end result. Uh, in, again, in terms of analogy, suppose you are your father, you have a contract with your father, you are a big, 
your father is a big businessman and there's a contract that you have with your father that after you reach a certain age he needs to give you a certain amount of money etc if you are if you are talking about contracts and lawsuits even with your parents you have to be very careful make sure that the paperwork is right everything is perfect and hide the right liar then you basically get the results on the other hand if you just want to express your love to your father and mother and just take what they give you you don't you have you have nothing to be afraid of you don't you have no rules that you need to be concerned about breaking even to a small extent so uh, keep that analogy in mind and my strong suggestion is unless one has a competent guru and unless one knows what one is doing and why one is doing one should stay away from karma karma anyway a, a karma where a particular result is desired mm-hmm. and those are valid only when it is for a dharmic purpose and one knows exactly what one is doing what i suggest to uh, all all normal people is of course all of us are normal people as a matter of fact what i suggest to all people is just stick to nishkama karma do it as a as you are offering to the divine offering to the universe and you will be richly rewarded sometimes what we think we need is not what is good for us you may you may think that getting xyz is the best thing for you but that may ruin you also sometimes if you just leave it to god to give you what what he wants to give you or what she wants to give you that is the best so from that perspective be fearless uh pick the right sadhana for you and do it sincerely and don't worry about making mistakes and one more thing at the end of every puja you say mantra heenam kriya heenam bhakti heenam janardana yat pujitam maya deva paripurnam tadastute which means if if there was a error in the mantra in the action in the in the attitude etc please forgive me and when you say hmm. that be very sincere say that please forgive me i am a fool i am just trying to connect with you you are infinite you are so subtle and at the same time infinite i am trying to connect with you please please bless me and shape my attitude if you have that spirit sooner or later god will become kind and god will bless you okay so then this uh, brings us to the question of adhikara so uh, i mean from what you have said it's like adhikara is there for everyone then why exactly do we need to talk about adhikara um, you know and is it important uh, to have to do sadhana well uh, the, the regular actions everybody does and uh, the need to imbibe those with a sense of sacred everybody has so farming connection with the divine everybody everybody can do everybody needs to do but the thing is there are certain mis- misconceptions that came in kaliyuga first of all people say that people only of certain varnas can do this not all varnas can do this but the thing is varnas in the old days are different from what they are now especially during the british times they have been really really corrupted in the old day old days your varna is basically it is your aptitude if you look at vichasnama stotram it says vedantako brahmanasya satyo visibhavet so one who's interested in Vedanta, in the wisdom, pure wisdom of God, is Brahmana. That is what Brahmana gets by chanting Vishwasnama. Similarly, Kshatriya, he gets victory over others because Kshatriya is somebody who's protecting others around him. Brahmana is one who's pursuing God and Vaishya is one who's pursuing, uh, figuring out where things are cheaper and moving things around for the benefit of the world, for Dharma. 
the way the vannas are defined in shrimad bhagavatam i'm sorry to say this but most people irrespective of their but varna are actually chandalas today the, the exact definition of brahmana kshatriya vaishya chodra given in bhagavatam by sri krishna if you use it most people are chandalas so forget about the varna in the old days this was based on your attitude and what you pursue in life is it wisdom or is it strength and protecting others or is it uh, financial gains and helping help helping people by moving goods or just serving others so that was the definition and uh, vishwamitra was born as a kshatriya but became a brahmana later a brahmarshi and valmiki we have so many examples so it was a very dynamic thing in the old days so but the bottom line is whether you want wisdom whether you want success whether you want wealth whether you want just physical comforts all of them will come when your actions towards them are imbibed with the sense of sacred and more focused so in order to in order for your actions to be more focused and with a better sense of purpose you need that connection with the divine whether your action is for money or success over enemies or just physical comforts or wisdom or knowledge of god whatever your purpose is whether you are brahmana or kshatriya or vaishya or shudra either by birth or by your aptitude by your nature still sadhana is important so you can do sadhana you can do irrespective of what your uh, birth varna is you can do sadhana and as a matter of fact if somebody does sadhana and becomes more and more detached we, he, that person if somebody becomes actually uh, more dedicated to god and more detached that person irrespective of the birth varna may end up becoming brahmana in the in the long run so what i what i humbly recommend is forget about adhikara if you have sincere desire to connect with the god and sincere desire to play a more purposeful role in the in the world in a dharmic way if you have that desire that itself is adhikara desire to basically lead a purposeful life a dharmic life in this world and pray to the say, divine to uh, to basically establish in your being so that your actions are more purposeful that desire that spirit itself is adhikara all other adhikaras are meaningless now as for women women doing it some people basically think that a woman uh, cannot cannot do but this is wrong in ramayana there is a clear reference that kausalya when rama goes to see her she is doing her daily havan with vedas mantras and then rama waits so and so on there are, there are several uh, uh, pramanas and there is nothing that really says that women can do this is really the influence of certain religions that influenced sanatan dharma in the last millennium they they had other ways of looking at women so that thinking was basically superimposed on sanatan dharma women can certainly do any rituals including homa or havan so in in the modern world um many people have lost the chain of tradition right. uh if it has not been handed down in their families uh can they still learn how to perform either uh, pujas or uh, a havan yes they can absolutely learn from uh, various acharyas and gurus that are available whoever they are drawn towards and if they don't have access to anyone see we have various mantras coming from rishis for example durga saptashati uh, it is from markandeya purana and markandeya rishi taught it gayatri mantra vishwamitra taught it 
so in the old days they were only transmitted orally there was no they were not written down but with the advent of kaliyuga god was kind god realized that various paramparas are going to be broken in this kaliyuga so the tradition of all these writings have come so when when you if you chant for example durga saptashti or saptashloki think of markandeya rishi as the guru because it, it 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 did come from him to you and similarly if you if you are interested in the gayatri mantra and if you have the text from a book you chant it and think of vishwamitra as the guru so when the knowledge is there in the in written form you can benefit from it it is not necessary that you have to get from a guru and one small point here if you get diksha from a guru a guru gives you in your ear it is kind of like a millionaire father opening an account in his son's name with a uh, million dollar balance starting balance so it is good for you if you get a get a mantra from a from an accomplished guru who has done lot of sadhana with that mantra that can help you that can give you a head start but it's no guarantee of success a rich father's son may start a bank balance with million dollars but gamble all of it and he may become a pauper later on the other hand a normal person he may start a bank balance with just 1 dollar and he may slowly grow it and become a billionaire one day so if you do enough sadhana over time that will put you in a good stead of course if you get mantra from a guru excellent but if you don't it's not a reason for not not doing sadhana think of the original rishi from whom the mantra came think of the guru as the rishi and try to try to form connection with the rishi and the devata sincerely when we when we do pujas um, there are uh, there are many questions that come to mind you know like uh, if we are doing a puja with a murti uh, what should be the size of the murti you know uh, or if mm-hmm. it's a kalasha what should be the size of the kalasha um, so where do we get all this information and where do we get the um, the objects themselves you know for uh, for doing these pujas first of all the object that you get if you buy it in a store is just an object when you buy it there is no life in it there is no prana in it so it is slowly yes. over time of course if a if a great sadhaka comes and does pranapratishtha in it that's a separate matter but for most people that's not realistic so let's assume that is just a murti that you got you bought in a store so mm-hmm. you basically every day you sincerely believe that in that murti ganapati is there or lakshmi is there or vishnu is there or rudra is there you sincerely believe with that belief slowly prana will start forming in it that energy slowly starts manifesting mm-hmm. there and over time over years whether you believe it or not there will be energy there there will be enough shakti accumulating it is kind of like a piggy bank the murti is like a piggy bank a kid he is basically putting some money a few coins every day he may not be a millionaire but he is putting a few coins every day and maybe a occasionally uh, 5 rupee 20 rupee note and over time it may accumulate to a large amount and when in, in a time of need it may it may actually rescue one similarly the murti that you are you are buying you are it is your responsibility to fill it fill the, fill the piggy bank with money similarly that murti is shakti so every day when you do sadhana sincerely believe that that murti has the divine in it and the sadhana that you are doing is being enjoyed by the divine and the divine as a blessing in return he is filling your existence with divinity so have that sense and sincerely do it so over time it that shakti will manifest there 
and now regarding the size etc and by the way for murti you can use a clay murti you can use a gold murti you can use a silver murti you can use copper you can use bronze you can use the panchaloha which is very popular in south india basically a combination of fine metals there are various options but i strongly recommend not using modern plastic etc these objects plastic rubber these are not really auspicious objects these are not these are not good for the world let me put it that, that way so use biodecomposable things like metals and clay etc and try to but the key is it is up to you to create god in that murti if you sincerely do it every day it will accumulate in a particular day one day you may not do much but over time that accumulates and regarding the size there are some pramanas in the agama shastra like some pramanas say it should be angushta matra in a home uh, if it's not a temple and a home it should be angushta matra which is your thumb basically mm-hmm. the size of your thumb it should be that size or less but again the the thing is it is kind of like saying uh, uh the piggy bank should be a small size because if it's larger you may as well start a bank account put it in a bank instead of in a piggy bank because it's not safe similarly if it is in a if it is in a if it is in your in a murti in your home if you if you accumulate too much shakti basically that may be exploited by others who come to your house etc just like somebody may break your piggy bank and take the money so if it's too much money put it in a bank similarly you establish a temple uh, etc with if you if you if you want if you uh, have lot of shakti so that is the logic behind see this is why i said sanatan dharma is very logical it's not really arbitrary and it's not like because i say so there is a there is a structure and logic behind everything so the th- the thumb rule is <laughs> the thumb rule is to uh, use the size of thumb but the thing is take <laughs> it's not it's not absolute if you if you are comfortable with it you can have a larger idol of course over time lot of shakti may accumulate in it but that's fine there's nothing wrong in it it's not necessary that you have to open a bank account once you have more than 1000 dollars or something you can still use a big piggy bank it's up to you basically whatever you are comfortable with but mm-hmm. the thing is if you are one thing is one who knows less is actually sometimes happier because once you know more because you are using it as a thumb rule and you may not understand the essence of it the the spirit of it you may go by the letter it may bog you down it may it may bug you you may you may feel worried so if you if you have a big idol in your house and it makes you worried it's not worth it because whenever you do puja you're worried that i'm doing something wrong i'm doing something wrong if it's at the back of your mind that's not good so my general thumb rule is if something makes you uncomfortable don't do it on the other hand somebody else he may not know the rule he may have a one foot idol and he may be happy he may be sincerely forming a relation to it and who knows that idol may end up going into a temple one day also who knows so it is perfectly fine so my suggestion is don't think too much whatever idol you have whatever murti you have access to worship the murti sincerely and don't be too scared but at the same time if you can't overcome that fear at the back of your mind because people around you are scaring you unfortunately this is a thing in kaliyuga people don't do and don't let others do and they, there is a lot of scaremongering rather than uh, giving confidence and enthusiasm so if that's the case it's not worth it then basically get a smaller idol that that fits the rule that you know so you mentioned um, shastras prescribing certain rules yeah um, now there are two points that 
I'd like to know about. Um, first is what about um, any particular timing to do um, sadhana or is there like a regular uh, schedule that is prescribed by Shastras? Ah, that's a great question. So uh, for doing sadhana to connect with the divine, the best times are in the morning and in the evening, sunrise time and sunset time around about 48 minutes before or after basically a couple of ghadiyas and ghatis before and after sunrise and also before and after sunset. These are very, very auspicious times. And in the old days, people just would get up early in the morning and in the yeah, around sunrise time, they would offer argyas to sun. They would do a small fire ritual. They will spend some time in japa, chanting a mantra. They will do tarpanas, daily tarpanas. So people were doing all these rituals uh, in the morning usually. But the thing is, in modern days, people get up late and they are busy with work in the morning. So it is fine to do in the evening. These two times are very, very auspicious. But in general, if you if it's, if neither of these times works for you, it is fine to do any time. Suppose you, you, are, you have to get up early and take a train to go to work and you can't do it in the morning. And by the time you come home, let's say it's uh, 8 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, you can do it at 8.30 and then you can eat your dinner. That's fine too. Uh, when Shastras say this is, uh, give a specific time, they're not saying this is the only time. That time is slightly better. So they're they are telling you better way ways to optimize what you're doing. But the thing is, instead of not doing at all, do it sometime or the other. And one small note here, even though people think that the sunrise and sunset time are the best times for sadhana, that is true, not untrue. But there is a concept of inner day and inner night. Every day, we if you at any time, left nostril or right nostril will be one of them will be stronger. You are breathing, breathing in and breathing out mostly through one of the nostrils at any time. And it changes roughly every couple of hours, every one and a half hours or so. So roughly, and there is a transition time uh, when both of them are equally open and then it changes to the other nostril. And then after an hour and a half, Basically, both of them are open for like half hour, then another one and a half hours, the other one is open. So these are like the inner day and night. The right nostril is solar channel. So that's the day. And uh, that basically controls the push instinct. And the left nostril is the inner night. When that is more open, that is inner night. That is the lunar channel. It is the period of uh, pullback, relax. So these, these are conducive to certain activities. And for sadhana, the best time is the sanjha time. Inner Sanjha, when both the nostrils are open, that is basically very conducive to sadhana. So, from this perspective, if you are, if you are, if you realize that if you are free in the evening, let's say before long before sunset at 3 p.m., and you realize that both your nostrils are equally open, perhaps you can sit down and do meditation or do a puja. So, the thumb rule is daytime, uh, sunrise, and sunset time around that, but if you can find a time when your both nostrils are equally open, that's an even more productive time. Because when the idanadi is more active, your sense of surrender, sense of feeling will be will be more active. When the pingal nadi is more active, the solar channel, your your sense of logical thinking, etc., will be more active. And when both of them are balanced, neither logic nor emotion will uh, will overpower you. And then Sushumna has a chance of opening. And that is the channel through which you perceive the divine. You form connection with the divine. When the logic and the emotion are both balanced, when intuition 
and structured, structured and unstructured thinking, when both of them are balanced, that is when you have a better chance, highest chance of connecting with the divine. Okay, now coming to, you know, events and uh, and uh, rituals for events. Here I'm using rituals because I think events sure. have become about rituals, you know. So uh, <laughs> Shastras prescribe a lot of uh, rituals. But uh, today we uh, we don't do all of them and it's uh, become very uh, common to pick and choose, uh, you know, uh, what is convenient and uh, sort of uh, collapse into a one-day frame, whereas uh, earlier weddings, uh, for instance, if you take an event like a wedding, it used to go on for multiple days, you know, uh, uh, sometimes three mm-hmm. days, uh, sometimes even seven days. Uh, so yeah. uh, now no one has the time to do uh, it so elaborately. So everything is collapsed into one day, one murta, something, you know, and um, is, uh, you know, so when it's become like this, uh, is there any way to know what is an absolutely must do and what can mm-hmm. be expended with, you know, th- that way, what what is optional? And is it okay to do it like this in the first place? Or are we really, um, you know, going against uh, Shastras in a very big way by doing this? What is your take on this? Yeah, uh, great question. Unfortunately, people confuse Dharma, Dharma Shastras, what the Shastras say, with what customs say. There are there are a lot of customs, a lot of practices that evolve over time for convenience and they are dependent on this Kalpatra. I like to give an analogy. When it comes to connecting with the divine and connecting, uh, making spiritual progress, that is kind of like raw grains. And various customs, social customs are more like cooked grains. In any religion, in any uh, civilization, there is... There, there is both raw grains and cooked grains. The thing with raw grains is they stay for a long time. They never perish. Similarly, things like you, you need to connect with divine, kind of divine acts through you. You are an instrument of divine, Sarvam Khalvidam Brahma. These are like raw grains. They never grow old. They never go wrong. They never perish. They are true forever. On the other hand, the they are not really useful for many people. Most people cannot eat raw grains and get any energy from it. On the other hand, uh, specific practices that you engage in, like for example, if I say every day you spend 15 minutes in the morning doing Homa and 5 minutes in the morning doing Tarpana, like that, or uh, 30 minutes meditating, that becomes a specific instruction that you can actually use and benefit from. So that is a cooked grain. So cooked grain, they give you energy. They are more useful to people, to society. But the problem with them is they perish after a while. They go they go back. So they become stale. So this is the problem with modern religions of Kali Yuga. They are sticking to a lot of stale food. The, they, they, these religions are more focused on cooked grains rather than raw grains. Hinduism, the beauty of Hinduism is it has both raw grains and cooked grains. And a clear awareness among the learned people of what is cooked grain versus what is raw grain. So when you talk about doing a wedding over several days, etc., these are more like cooked grains rather than raw grains. What is really important in the Vaha process is the, the Vadhu and Vara, the bridegroom and bride, basically having a sincere commitment to each other and taking that vow in front of Agni, and then Mangal Sudha Dharana, etc. There are, if you look at the mantras, 
there are certain mantras that are very very essential and also there are pramanas from the old days when certain important weddings happened very in a very short duration with the basic minimum required procedures so let us not go through what is the basic minimum required here but the thing is what i will say is there is basic minimum required but the thing is there is a lot of stuff added over time and that that does tends to happen when somebody adds a particular step because it feels nice nobody wants to drop it people keep adding things so rituals become very long i want to give a small analogy here this is not just for wedding but in general for rituals uh, various sadhanas or various karmas there used to be a brahmana who used to do uh, homa every day and then his shishya used to observe him and learn what mantras he was chanting what he was doing while chanting the mantra so he learned how to do homa by observing his guru and his guru who used to have a cat and the cat because if it jumps around it can cause a fire accident he used to tie it in a corner of the house so the shishya noted it and one day guru passed away and shishya wanted to keep this practice alive so he wanted to do what the guru was doing so he said okay i will also i will start doing homa every day from tomorrow like my guru used to do he didn't have a cat he went and bought a cat in the store and started tying it in the same corner and doing the ritual now the thing is if this cat needed no because he had it he basically made the rule of tying it if you don't have a cat good don't buy a cat but he did not know this is the problem when you don't know sanskrita <laughs> when you are not enlightened enough uh, intellectually and also spiritually you confuse the letter with the spirit there are many times i see these days people don't understand the spirit they torture the spirit while following the letter so uh, it is it is very important to follow the spirit rather than the letter so from that perspective lot of process that are done today are not really uh, necessary so it is fine to make some trade offs let me give an analogy in terms of the puja itself forget about the wedding if you do a puja people take a sankalpa the place that you are in the time what month it is what year it is what aina it is etc so if you take a long sankalpa that itself can come to 5 minutes and if you are doing a sadhana a puja for 2 hours or 3 hours like people used to do 200 years back or 100 years back 5 uh, minutes sankalpa makes sense but if you are doing a homa or puja just for 30 minutes or 15 minutes you don't have enough time in the modern world then you have to make a trade off you don't have a you don't need a long sankalpa out of 15 minutes you can't use 5 minutes for sankalpa you just cut it to half minute and really do you think that god doesn't know where you are what time you you are living in who you are what gotra you are what is your name what you want do you think god doesn't know god knows everything this is not for god this is for yourself this is to keep the tradition alive and to know all these details you basically make them part of the sankalpa so it is perfectly fine a good trade off to cut that uh, process and just say for the pleasure of god and my for my spiritual progress i'm doing it simple and even if you don't say explicitly if there's a desire at the back of your mind when you when you're doing it it automatically becomes a sankalpa god will take that into account when when he gives you result for what you are doing so so like that basically this is just an example the the specifics always depend on the desakal patra the generics the generics are what i called rag grains earlier and the specifics are what i call norms influence the specifics what i but the generics are more important so what i suggest is 
it is perfectly fine to make trade offs and pick the pick what is essence but when you are not confident of what is essential what is the spirit and what is the letter just follow whatever is realistic for you to follow and secondly even if you know that a particular step is uh, is not really necessary it is just added by people it's not really meaningful still if there is a guilt at the back of your mind when you don't do it you better do it but hopefully over time as the divine becomes stronger inside you various guilts will drop and you'll be able to uh, do more freely and enjoy what you're doing without guilt so narasimha rao garu um, this has been a very enlightening and in many ways a reassuring conversation um and this being a parenting podcast i'd like to ask you if you have any a uh, specific uh, message or advice for the parents and children who are listening thank you thank you for a thank you for this wonderful opportunity uh it is a great idea to instill the basic concepts of sanatan dharma in the kids and it is natural given the deshakala patra given the uh, times that we are living in for kids to be a little inquisitive and also questioning like our generation in my generation we accepted whatever parents told us and later we realized what is the meaning of all this but they will ask why 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 is a very common question in the current generation <laughs> so don't basically try to overpower them saying because i say so that is that will not work going forward this is the this is the age when people want to question so try to understand the reasoning behind what 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 you are telling them and keep things simple instead of keeping things very complicated if you keep things simple they are easier to follow and also easier to understand and explain so keep things simple and one more thing is uh like i said earlier you need to strike a balance between force and enjoyment so without forcing oneself one will not do anything meaningful in life all great things happen after some forcing in the beginning but at the same time you have to cut some corners and make some trade offs so that you are also enjoying it eventually sooner or later hopefully not too late so from that perspective if children protest still force them a little bit don't be too lenient force them into certain practices and make sure that those practices are simple enough and meaningful for them so that is one thing and uh, if if children are not comfortable with a long ritual keep it very short they can just take a murti imagine garden it and do just five services and then just chant a mantra in front of god maybe not meditate not close eyes keep eyes open look at the murti and then chant the mantra a few times that's good and teach them various stotras if a, if a kid for example learns hanuman chalisa or vishwasnama stotra at a young age uh, they will not forget for example my wife used to have all the na- children in the neighborhood and teach them vishwasnama stotram ganapati athrasesham like that basically various aditya hrudayam hanuman chalisa raman uh, nama ramayanam etc and they learnt when they were like uh, between 5 and 12 years of age they they don't they still remember it they don't they haven't forgotten even though they don't chant them regularly now what mm-hmm. you learn at a young age becomes very imprinted in your mind so in a time of need suddenly somebody tells them chant hanuman chalisa that will help you that will become an anchor for their existence during troubles which will invariably happen in life in modern life so give them some prayers that they can fall back on to later and even if they don't understand or question or think this is stupid that's fine uh, it is it is important to sow the seeds 
and which seeds become plants and trees and give fruits later, you are not in control. But as parents, it is your job to sow the right seeds. And at the same time, don't overwhelm them with what is unrealistic for them. So keep it simple. Keep it. For example, I told you that my wife taught very young children, Vishwasnamastatra, obviously not in, in one day. Every day, a couple of slokas. So over time, over time, you learn everything. So you basically, but the thing is, key is, you have to spend some time with your, with your children. You, <laughs> you, if you want to, be, if you want to basically keep uh, looking at internet, YouTube, various social media, because there is enough content on the internet to keep you busy for a million lives. I'm not kidding. There is actually enough content to keep one busy for a million lives. So you have to, you have to basically make some time for kids and at, especially at a young age. Don't start when they are teenagers. And when they're already rebellious, when they're really young, before 10 years of age, uh, perhaps at five, six, seven, like that, at that age, teach them some simple practices and also try to explain why you are doing it and that will stay with them. And another thing is, there is something really powerful with fire compared to murtis, uh, compared to karsas and just meditation, dry meditation. There's something beautiful with fire. When there is a small fire in a small homkunda, you can even use a small bowl and just use some small dry coconut pieces, copra, and light a fire. Compared to murtis and water, etc., there is something beautiful about fire. There is something alive about fire. It is very, it is very calming, very purifying. Actually, the Sanskrit word for fire is pavaka, which means purifier. So, what I suggest is, if parents get into the habit of doing a small fire ritual. Havana, Homa, every day or every weekend. And if they if they, if they have young children, they come and sit near the fire and look at the fire and maybe chant a mantra that you teach them, that will really ground them, that will really connect them. They feel something nice. There is something indescribable about a fire of a Homa. So if parents start doing it, I know many parents who actually do Homa and get their children involved. They also come and chant and maybe sometimes make some offerings in the in the fire. And slowly they will also want to do it. So if they get it, get used to doing a homa every weekend or so, uh, you don't need a lot of equipment. You just use a small bowl for the havankund and you just use some copra or dry coconut pieces and a few drops of tea. That's enough. And if children get into the habit of doing this, that will really, really help them. That will really clarify a lot of things in their mind and keep things clean. So something like this can be considered, but definitely do teach your children some shlokas, etc. And do spend some time. So I think this is the opportune moment to tell our listeners that uh, Narasimha Garu has, has a website uh, called vedicastrologer.org where um, he has put out a lot of um, do-it-yourself homa uh, manuals, manuals for 32 yeah. devatas there is a yeah. there are uh, simplest manual simple manual regular manual like that what i recommend is just stick to simplest ganapati homa when you start and that that can be that can be sufficient really just start with a simplest ganapati homa with the minimum materials and see if you if you like it and your kids and, like and it the best yeah and the best is this is do it yourself you know so uh, it is open to everybody. So we request all our listeners to please go to vedicastrologer.org and check out the homas for yourself. Um, Can I actually add one point? I know we took yeah, a please. lot of time, but 
one small no point problem. on doing doing by oneself the there are various rishis that taught various dharma shastras and for example in dhrata yuga kautama was the authority in krata yuga or satya yuga manu was the authority but in kali yuga parashara is supposed to be the authority for dharma shastra and there is a book called parashara madhavyam a dharma shastra text that explicitly says that a ritual done by compared to a ritual done by a priest on one behalf a ritual done by one's own guru or shishya in in one's name is 100 times more effective and compared to that a ritual done by one's own son or father in one's name is 100 times further more effective compared to that a ritual done by oneself is further 100 times more effective the the bottom line is if you do a ritual by yourself it is million times more effective than a ritual done by a purohita the idea is in kali yuga the ability of people to identify with somebody else's troubles or somebody else's state of mind and trying to improve it that ability to connect with others is very limited in kali yuga so from that perspective you are kind of on your own and somebody who is more closely connected to you has a better chance of helping you than some some outsider so there is a clear pramana that doing by oneself is the best way so even if you make mistakes even if it is suboptimal still you are better off doing by yourself so that is why we have manuals do it yourself manuals on my website and they are completely free so please please feel free to benefit from them thank you uh, so thank you so much narsimharao garu i mean it's been a very long conversation but a very very uh, deep and profound one also and i think we have learned so much and i am sure our listeners also will take home a lot of uh, uh, you know Uh, important uh, learnings from this conversation uh, so we thank you for your time and uh, hope to have you soon probably with a session on astrology which is another of your uh, strong points we'll see when we can do that um, but willing. for now thank you so much sorry mother willing thank mother willing yes. thank you very much yeah. thank you for this opportunity yes. thank namaskar. you so much namaste, namaste. and to our listeners please do subscribe to us at uh, hinduparenting.substack.com uh, we are also present on all social media we go by the handle hindu parenting so please do follow us on whichever social media you find it comfortable to do so we are also available on uh, podcast platforms like spotify google podcast apple podcast please catch us wherever uh, it suits you so um, with that we will end this episode until the next time namaste